We've come to embrace the term social distancing from the Centers for Disease Control. That means avoiding group gatherings, plus crowded subways and buses. Social distancing in action. Social distancing. Social distancing. Social distancing. The new coronavirus buzz phrase. Yes, the buzz phrase of the moment is social distancing, also known as don't breathe on me, bitch. Our culture is going to be really lame. It's going to start looking like it is here in Seattle, just a bunch of dudes sitting around the table. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Seattle Seattle happy hour may not compare to New York City happy hour. Yeah, it's a little bit like the the subway system where people are crammed in like sardines and you're nut to butt around people where trying to trying to you know get the bartenders a attention and and get yourself a drink hey what's going on thanks for tuning in to the ewb podcast this is your host emil wang coming to you with part nine of the social distancing series the series where i catch up with my friends around the world amid this global covid19 pandemic And on the phone, I have a new guest to the pod, another new member who wants to contribute their thoughts, their experiences, somebody uh, who I used to work with in New York City, my nap guardian, my my token white friend, the uh, Topher Grace lookalike. There was another white guy that you looked like, not every other white guy. There was one other specific white guy that you looked like, and I don't remember who it was. Mr. Jesse Rushworth, how are you? Fine, sir. How are you? Thank you for the very gracious introduction. Now everyone will just imagine me as Topher Grace throughout the interview. So I guess that's there are worse things that could happen here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I could say that you look like, I don't know, ass. <laughs> you could say I look like Danny DeVito. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But who? there was somebody else, though, right? It wasn't... It was Topher Grace and somebody um, else. Mm. There's a couple out there. I do generally look like every other tall white dude in the city. <laughs> <laughs> well, better to be that than to look like every other Asian dude alive. Um, <laughs> th- thanks for thanks for being on, man. And you know, it, it was no it, it was a shame that you know I'm eight episodes in, and you know I think four of my contributors are from the SoCal, uh, you know, Nevada area, and you know a couple more of them are from uh, Northern California. So it's uh, it's refreshing to have a different perspective from one of the cities that I lived in for quite a long time and uh, and is unfortunately really the heart of the heart of this pandemic in the United States. So really looking forward to hearing about your experiences in New York City. Um, You live in the in the Upper West Side, right? That's right. Live on the Upper West Side on the island of Manhattan. So we are basically, you know, what some would call the epicenter, but really, and we'll obviously get into this later, but I think that there are actually five boroughs of New York City, which is Queens, is is actually, I think, statistically the epicenter. Though, again, I don't know what the individual stats are of that recently, but this is... In general, people do see New York City as, you know, the all-encompassing five boroughs. And yes, like, you know, we are considered to be just that, the hot zone. Yeah. And for those of you who aren't too familiar with, uh, you know, what exact how the boroughs are exactly separated, um, Manhattan is essentially an island. Um, the Bronx is north of it, and that's almost an island in itself. 
Queens and Brooklyn are connected in a way, and Staten Island is island in itself as well. Um, not that that makes much of a difference in terms of you know human interaction, because everybody takes pumps it into the city where most of the the work and um, lifestyle happens. Right. Right. And so as developments of the coronavirus were coming about in early March, that was obviously one of the main concerns was all of these people, millions of people who ride New York City transit on a daily basis. How do you begin to contain the spread of a virus where people being within six inches of each other forget six feet? But always being crammed into a subway car twice a day, if not more, and being nestled right up against someone and, you know, thinking about how just how impractical it is to try and protect oneself properly in that kind of environment, in a closed, confined very highly dense environment. It's, uh, and I would say six inches uh, of separation was generous. Um, I would say when I was riding the subway into the city during rush hour, it was, it was much, much closer than dudes are breathing down your neck. Um, sneezing, like sne- getting sneezed on was a, was a daily occurrence. And, you know, really the, the res- well, sometimes is the result of, you know, dirty motherfucker just, carelessly not covering their mouth but um you know sometimes oftentimes if if somebody needed to sneeze they they didn't have the room to lift their arms up and cover their mouth in time um and if they were lucky enough that you know some of the the particles would kind of seep out between the seams of their fingers and still get onto you so um you know, we'll get into masks and all that later, but right. you're right. You know, the, the whole social distancing etiquette, um, particularly for New York uh, and its commuters, was wildly impractical. Um, and, and maybe we'll start there. Uh, I know, you know, Governor Cuomo out of, uh, gets a lot of, you know, good press, in, at least in these parts. Yeah. Um, what what was the original in terms of the timeline of the directives and recommendation between, you know, the Mayor de Blasio and also Governor Cuomo? Because even they have a little bit of um, discord, right, or disagreement. Right, right. they do. And, and initially there was a certain level of miscommunication there, and the media obviously doesn't help the situation. Uh, Governor Cuomo was <clears throat> emphatic in that a shelter-in-place order, so to speak, would not be approved without his consent, without his signature, which was confusing for New Yorkers, especially in the days leading up to what would be known as the New York on pause. All non-essential workforce was uh, directed to work from home, to stay in place, to uh, minimize interaction. And so when the shelter-in-place order came out from de Blasio's office and CNN's picking up on it and really taking advantage of all the hype and the sensationalism, you know, as that's happening, Governor Cuomo is giving an interview with Michael Barbaro of the New York Times for the Daily and, you know, talking extensively about the virus, what it can do, what it means. Uh, and 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 as that's happening, you know, New York City, we're, we're trying to, you know, take cover, so to speak. And so there was that 
initial stage where, okay, who do we listen to, the leader of the city or the leader of the state? So it became a very apparent at that point. And I want to say the day was March 16th. That was the first day that I uh, started working from home on a more official basis. Um, got a desk set up, have my own corner, my own my own little nook in the corner of our bedroom in our one bedroom apartment in Manhattan. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it definitely, there, there was a level of confusion and that's part of what led to this um, level of pandemonium with the pandemic. At first people were trying to figure out, okay, wait, so who do I listen to and what do I actually do? What's, what is practical? What is, ideal. A lot of people in the beginning were just trying to cope. So having that that sort of discord between Cuomo and de Blasio, and then, you know, historically, there's been a, a level of discord between Governor Cuomo and President Trump. And on that level, um, you know, Cuomo did take steps in, in those first few days or weeks to, to uh, ensure people that you know, he and the president were working in concert, you know, which does give people a level of comfort in these kinds of times. Um, I think that as we know by now, if people are paying attention to the national news, there's a lot of criticism of the Trump administration and how they handled it. So at least to see that uh, Trump was in a way, ready to back New York or support New York and, and Cuomo and Trump could get over their drama and that they could work together to help out the state. And that seemed to, uh, I think, help in terms of assuaging fears. That said, again, the, the practical nature of things in New York City with people and all the proximity issues, um, just trying to cope with how do we get basic supplies, food, Toilet paper, obviously, that was and, and, and continues to be an issue, you know, what, in terms of how, how people are generally just trying to handle the new reality. So it didn't uh, it didn't hurt, I would say, that at least there was some some level of agreement between the state and federal level uh, versus the, the state and, and the city level. I think that uh, it became quick, like, as you said. You know, kind of an understatement. Cuomo has been getting a lot of great press. His daily briefings have, you know, become almost the the hype of the nation. You know, where a lot of people from different states are tuning in and they're, you know, hashtag Cuomo for president, hashtag Cuomo sexual. <laughs> you know, he has this sort of appeal, this <laughs> very fatherly, you know, Italian father appeal, and I think people take to that. I think that people, you know, see him as a as a, a leader during this time who's maintaining confidence and. Uh, he's also been known, I think there was an interview with Cuomo and Howard Stern where he admitted that he hadn't had a drink, uh, during this entire time, which I think a lot of people see as admirable. And I think a lot of people are generally drawn to him, uh, for, for those reasons, outside of the fact that he is trying to maintain some level of order on the state level while keeping all in mind, obviously, with how things are going pertaining to New York City in particular, which, again, could be considered the epicenter of the virus. Yeah, and I, I can definitely see how confusing it must be to um, not be sure who to listen to between your governor and your mayor. And really, as a result, um, to be stricken with the panic of, you know, 
how do I plan for the next couple of weeks? Is everything going to be shut down? Um, am I going to have access to some of these basic supplies? And these kinds of feelings can really, you know, cause people to uh, buy, uh, you know, hand sanitizer and toilet paper to, you know, irresponsible levels to the point that, you know, other people can't get any access to it. Um, mm -hmm. Lucky for us here in Washington, you know, we kind of got over that hump pretty quickly. So, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here stocked with 100 rolls of toilet paper in my closet. So if you need any, I'll send it right over to you. We, we accept all packages here, so please, if you feel like uh, sending some this way, uh, it will be greatly appreciated. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I found it to be slightly ludicrous and at the same time not because all these people crammed in their apartments now working from home, you're no longer using the facilities uh, offered by your office space uh, where you were normally commuting every day. Now everything is at home, so there's certain there are certain supplies which will always be in, in higher demand i just the other day walked into a cvs just to take a look and see what the situation was with respect to paper products in general paper towels toilet paper etc and the shelves are still empty which it, it just i think speaks to again the level of hysteria that this city is faced with and <laughs> we you know, continue to be in the in these days. Yeah, and just overall, you know, the, the density the, the density of the population in the city, and you know, it, with Manhattan being an island, just the logistics of getting supplies in. Um, you know, for what is supposed to be the greatest city on earth, there really are a lot of logistical issues uh, that can make yeah, make yeah. operating uh, that city overly complicated. Um, I'm curious, how did you first react to the news of, uh, you know, the COVID and the, all of the shutdown? Were you like, you know, fucking Chinese people? <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's... Um... It's a, it's an interesting point, right? Because that really wasn't my first thought necessarily. It wasn't, ah, you know, this is just uh, another case of SARS, which I believe technically this is SARS-2. At least I, I think I read that on the World Health Organization, which, you know, I lived through SARS-1. I was in college. I was um, in a position uh, working in more of the hospitality sector, and we had groups coming in to the city of Philadelphia at Temple University. We were essentially housing a number of uh, Chinese uh, teachers and students in our dormitories. And there was a widespread concern about uh, SARS, and the facility staff took issue with having to work uh, with these people or amongst these people in proximity with these people. And at that time, I remember thinking, you know, this isn't really a big deal. I think that people are just overhyping it and, and I'm not really too worried about it. I took that same approach with the coronavirus at first, just simply because I don't really watch a lot of really any mainstream media. I don't, I'm not a, a CNN, MSNBC news talking head fan. Um, so when I first saw the reports and all the hype, I thought it was just that. I thought it was a lot of media hype, a lot of sensationalism. So, of course, I tended to, at least towards the end of February and into very early March, I still was downplaying 
the effects of coronavirus and how it could affect people and, and what that would actually mean for this country and this state and this city. I, I initially, my initial thoughts were this is going to blow over. It's still cold and flu season right now. This will not be a thing come May and June. And I still feel safe riding transit and I still feel safe not wearing a mask. So initially, yes, I, I, I was not really so much of a believer. And, um, once, once, you know, again, certain, the, the status of things changed and the work from home situation came in, in to be a, a reality, then that's when I started taking things a little bit more seriously. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. I mean, it was, it was basically the same over here. And, um, I've, I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but, uh, the, you know, my, my, my parents, you know, used to live in Wuhan, uh, knew about this pretty early on and they communicated to me, you know, the risks and they're like, yeah, thing going on. Um, but it was still just be safe. And, uh, oh, by the way, we're still coming to Seattle for your son's 30 day birthday party. Right. Obviously they weren't flying from Wuhan. Uh, they, they were just coming up from San Jose, but still, you know, they, for people who lived at the epicenter of where this thing came from and they know, you know, these, these quote unquote, uh, wet markets look like, um, they were still willing to take the risks. And, uh, so it, I, I, I think it's, you know, it's the, to the fault of nobody that in the, through March, the severity of the situation really wasn't taken in by the, the masses in the U.S. Um, it, it's kind of more now that, you know, w- with all the people still don't take this seriously, it, where it's um, just heartbreaking. Um, right. And I, I understand there is a discussion about, you know, like economy versus um, health. I think that's a fair debate, but people who want, everything to resume as normal without any of these precautions are um, very bold is the, the most PC way I would put it. Right. Um, how are New York city handling it now? I mean, you, you know, you guys are looks like two months to the date based this, um, you know, shelter in place or uh, whatever you guys called it, New York city. Um, I know that there's plenty of workers that are still going about their jobs, um, including you. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the construction sites that you've been involved with can't just stop, uh, especially when it comes to restoration projects. Yeah, yeah, you know, we uh, the, the local law 11 work is is considered a essential uh, in terms of the the compliance factor, but uh, yeah, you know, there's. I wouldn't really consider ourselves to be a part of the essential workforce, even though the, some of the work we do is considered to be essential. But, yeah, we, in New York City, the essential workforce, they still show up to their jobs. And that includes nurses. That includes police, fire, you know. And, and I think what's what's interesting is that those people who are who, who are aware of the level of exposure – that they face on a daily basis. What's interesting, uh, we'll we maybe get into some of the stats, but I do know that those essential workers, by comparison to the average, let's call them non-essential workforce and the 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 average citizen, the um, rate of infection is far lower for those that are putting themselves on a daily basis at higher risk. 
I want to say the stats uh, maybe you know more like 19% for transmission or or, or affection uh, for average citizen, and it's maybe half, if not a little higher, for those that are considered to be essential because they're just taking the precautions that much more seriously. Yeah, and to that point, um, one of the things that you kind of see that a lot of these essential workers who are taking this whole COVID thing seriously is they are wearing masks, which, you know, aside from actually practicing social distancing, um, masks are probably our greatest chance at um, mitigating the risk of uh, of spreading the disease. And, you know, it, it's shocking that um, there's still people who don't buy into it. Um, you know, it, it is the one thing that we are able to control uh, and do for, you know, something that I would consider a relatively low cost. You shared a graphic with me ahead of this discussion that um, really, you know, showed the numbers and, and the uh, the likelihood of transmission under different circumstances of, you know, people who are sick wearing it versus people who aren't sick who are still wearing it. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and, and that's where um, you know, it's uh, it gets to a point where uh, at what you know at what point or where does where does the law and where does uh, really law enforcement at what level or or you know there's there comes a point where yes they do need to um, law, you know law enforcement does need to intervene it does need to uh, make an effort to try and protect people but yeah at the end of the day um, you can't force someone to wear a mask. Um, if the, as the chart that I showed you, if the rate of transmission is that much lower when someone who carries COVID wears a mask, uh, then logically you think, well, then all people should be forced to wear a mask because the, the wild card in this whole scenario, um, uh, are the asymptomatic people, right? Exactly. Exactly. Right. So if you can still still transmit the virus and, and all the while being asymptomatic, then yes, the then then essentially everyone should whether you te- whether you've been tested or if you tested positive or negative, everyone should wear a mask. And, you know, as we um, my fiance and I, um, we've been uh, taking some time on the weekends to enjoy some of the parks that are open. We do see that police have a presence. We see that the Parks Department also has a presence and they're offering masks uh, to people. And so there's I think that there is a level of um, of community involvement in terms of protection. And I think that, yeah, the city is trying to do the right thing by keeping people protected. But um, it's interesting because I think that New Yorkers, again, being part of this, quote, uh, epicenter, I think that. the city or state will tend to be a little bit more compliant. And I think that they are willing more to, they're, they're more willing to take those protective measures. Whereas I think others in another state, um, this, and then I think this is why you're seeing a lot of protests among other states where um, they don't want to be forced to wear masks and they don't especially want to be forced to stay at home and not work. You know, so I think that, um, there, there definitely, there has to be a, a balance there. Uh, but for the most part, I think that, um, people here are more willing to, 
um, not put themselves at risk. And if they are, if they need to, because of their line of work, transit, police, fire, uh, hospitals, then they're going to, they're going to go through those lengths to make sure that they are mitigating the level of transmission using their protective, uh, personal protective equipment. Yeah, and, and this chart that you shared with me is it's pretty jarring how uh, the the contagion probability for let's say somebody who isn't wearing a mask and is a carrier um, contaminating somebody who's already wearing a mask um, that that probability of contagion is seventy percent. Right. Um, and and I assume this is a very you know this. I, I don't know under what can this, this isn't probably something as simple as, you know, an infected person brushing past a, uh, a non-infected person. I think, you know, probably two people sitting in a room close by, right. um, you know, there, there was probably some standard for you know, determining that, you know, going down to a COVID carrier, wearing a man, you know, interacting with somebody who is not infected, but not wearing a mask drops from 70% to 5%. Right. Um, so that number is, is staggering. And again, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that, um, you know, people that 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 we have to do this, but um, you're really doing this to protect other people. Um, right. And I, I it's a hard content. It's a hard um, concept for a lot of people to grasp. I, I think the attitude of, you know, you think about uh Good example, right? Like you, you wear your seatbelt to protect yourself. Uh, right. So, you know, people like they have the choice to do that or not. And the, the right. consequences are I, I die because I didn't wear a seatbelt. Well, that's kind of on me. Um, but, you know, to in the scenario of masks, it's different. I have to do this to protect other people. And, you know, like, why why do I have to suffer this to protect them? You know, if they have weak systems, you know, Right, right. And I think that there's a level of, okay, well, if, uh, if I don't want to wear a mask and if people are, if people are fearful of me because I'm not wearing a mask, then let them keep their distance, you know, which again, in New York City, that is a little bit easier said than done. I think that maybe in other states where people are more widely dispersed, sure, maybe that is uh maybe that is a, a policy or a philosophy that they can subscribe to and and it and it may make sense logistically but again yeah that's that's where it's difficult to draw comparisons between new yorkers or people that live in new york city versus other counties or other states you know it's not unlike new york city residents to feel that they are exceptional for for a certain for for any reason, and this is just another one where they feel that okay, well, you know, the infection rate and the death rate is that much higher here, so we we need to be different. We need to be exceptional. We need to be we need to go uh, above the you know the the standard, so to speak. I think that people are more accepting of you know what. Let's be let's be practical. Let's let's still try and get work done. Let's still try and be productive, um, but you know, let's just be smart. And that's one of the things that Cuomo preaches every day. You know, New York tough. What does that mean? We are, uh, we're smart, um, united, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's, it's about, okay, let's be safe, but 
you know, let's really try to still, you know, live our lives as, quote, normally as we possibly can. Again, um, you know, my fiance and I, we're doing what we can to try and maintain some level of normalcy. We still enjoy the um, the two parks closest to us, Riverside Park and Central Park. Um, as long as they're open, as long as people are, you know, keeping their distance and keeping themselves protected, we feel safe enough to to go to these parks and enjoy them. Again, because on a on a, on a given weekend that we're going to spend in in May, um, we that we, that's something that we would normally do. So we still try to take part in certain normal activities, um, all the while knowing that, hey, we're not going to get on the subway to go somewhere and we're not going to you know, take car rides or other kind of transportation unnecessarily. So to your point of, you know, New Yorkers uh, essentially complying and, you know, the, the whole concept of New York strong, have we seen the curve flattened? Are we seeing a, a decrease in the death rates? Are we seeing um, hospitals kind of not at uh 100% capacity like we had first been hearing about early on. So, yes, I think in general, um, as Cuomo has been coming on camera every day and, and reciting the statistics, yes, I think that it is safe to say that the, the curve is flattened. Um, and even though it is flattened, we are still not quote unquote out of the woods, um, especially in terms of, of deaths. I think that the, uh, the deaths have gone down and they're in the low hundreds. Uh, I want to say per, per day, per day. Yeah. In, in New York state, I believe that the deaths are somewhere in the, uh, 110 to 120 range. Um, maybe a little bit higher. Um, but, uh, in Cuomo's eyes, the, that's still too much, uh, you know, down from so many hundred or thousand. Uh, the curve has definitely flattened. But again, uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, we see it as OK to uh, go back to, to normal just yet. Um, so the New York on pause uh, stay at home order, so to speak, which was um, scheduled through May 15th, has recently been extended through uh, May 30th or May 28th. And so I think that, again, New Yorkers are okay with taking a little bit more time to be safe and be smart about the level of reopening. So um, on the topic of reopening, and I know we're, you know, very, very far away from, you know, what the new normal is going to be, but um, once this new normal is established, right? What what do you think? What do you think it's going to be like in New York City? Um, you know that we have so much commercial space. We'd be looking at a whole bunch of offices that are at risk of sitting empty. I mean, we've heard about some of those uh, banks that have already said, you know, we're not coming back to our spaces. Uh, you've heard of Twitter. I mean, I'm not really sure where Twitter's located, but um, companies of the caliber of Twitter are already saying, you know, we, we're going to the model of working home permanently. 
And on top of that, you think, start thinking about you know bar culture in New York City. I mean, you know, one of the one of the appeals of bar culture over there is that bars are tiny and you're jam packed in their ass to ankles with a bunch of other people that you get to you get to have a a fantastic conversation with. If bars in New York have to start abiding by these social distancing rules, you know, separating people by six feet, I mean bar culture is going to be really lame it's going to start looking like it is here in seattle with just a bunch of dudes sitting around a table <laughs> yeah seattle seattle happy hour may not compare to new york city happy hour yeah it's a little bit like the the subway system where people are crammed in like sardines and you're nut to butt around people where trying to trying to you know get the part bartenders a attention and, and and get yourself a drink well yeah, I mean, look, leading up to things, uh, again, my fiance, she was traveling in the early to mid uh, part of March. And uh, it was a very interesting experience for her, whereby, you know, she, uh, from the ex- the whole experience uh, between uh, arriving at the airport uh, to getting on the plane, it was, it was pretty uh, exceptional just because the lack of people that were on the plane, everyone had, you know, at least 10 foot, 10 feet of distance between each other. And she also noticed that even at the bars at the airport, that the, the bar stools were six feet apart. Okay. Yeah. You can do that. But do you think that people are just going to accordingly line up behind every, <laughs> every bar stool that's six feet apart and, and maintain some level of compliance in that way. I, I just don't see it again. Like the practicality of it is something that's very hard to imagine. And yeah, bars and businesses will be affected by that office space. Yes. I think that you'll see more and more that, uh, those, those tenants of these office buildings that are all over the city, uh, whether they be, uh, architecture and engineering firms like the one that I work at, or if they're, uh, law offices and financial firms, I think that they, you know, these these kinds of tenants who uh, maintain uh, a presence in the city that allows them to sign a lease with a landlord that is, let's say, 10 to 15 years. I think that uh, over the last decade, you've seen less of that thanks to co-working. You've seen the rise of work and there are other competitors the in that space. But yeah. <laughs> sure yeah right i mean you see yeah but i mean in terms of co-working i don't think that that's really going anywhere anytime soon and the, one of the advantages of co-working is that it gives you that flexibility that gives you that gives you that opportunity to um to sign a lease that's more like a year or two years, let's say, uh, similar to the way that a, a residential building has theirs. And I, I think that, yes, you'll s- just see more and more businesses, banks, et cetera, that, okay, yeah, we don't necessarily need to be in an office to conduct business. We can still do work and have meetings and produce work product without having to gather in a single shared space. I think that, yes, you will see much more of that, of people taking advantage of these uh, virtual conference programs such as Zoom or Microsoft Teams. You're going to see a lot more of that. I know, you know, there's a there's an old saying, you know, uh, 
applying wartime policies during peace. You know, it's not always uh, beneficial, but in some ways, this idea of virtual communication through video conference, I think it'll only be more prevalent in light of COVID. You know, COVID is, has sort of forced us into certain ways of thinking and acting and, and performing. And so that's one of the things that I see carrying through. So, you know, will you see uh, a downturn in commercial office uh, leasing, perhaps. I think that that's very likely. Yes, you will. And then, yes, landlords don't don't like that. They have these these buildings, these high rises with these massive floor plates that are perfect for you know uh, rows of desks and, and other offices where people can interact and and uh, you know spend most of their day. Those now, those spaces are now just less valuable. I think that people are going to be, are going to wisen up a little bit. They're going to learn to be a little bit more efficient. And, you know, if it's me, if it means more money in their coffers to not have to pay rent, especially again, for these companies that have been around for decades where they're, they're accustomed to signing 10 to 15 year leases, I think you're going to see a lot less of that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'll tell you who, uh, loses big is whoever sold sold the uh, open office concept <laughs> which i, I yeah, hate the because, open office concept but yeah you know, and, and they're cool. designing this to accommodate that and now you know every office in mine is like there's no way that we can um you know like we're gonna have to rebuild uh the the, the offices with dividers at, at minimum Right. Because yeah. otherwise people are just going to have to stack up books to build walls around themselves, which. Right. Well, you know, uh, I, I don't doubt it. And, and honestly, again, with our, our company, with with what we do uh, with respect to building envelope, we also have a, a number of engineers that are that come from the, the mechanical background and they they help with energy consulting. And a lot of that has to do with building systems. And so now we're getting questions from. Um, from a lot of our clients who are commercial office landlords and they're getting questions from their commercial office tenants who are saying, how can we retrofit our space to be safer? Can we uh, set up dividers or can we uh, adjust the uh, mechanical systems or, or settings of the fans or, or um, adding um other equipment that could help to purify the air at a certain rate? Are there ways that we can modify the systems to allow for more fresh air, for more cycles of air? We we touch on that somewhat with our level of consulting, where uh, if offices, if commercial office tenants are interested in maintaining their, their workplace, let's say, again, they have a lease that runs out in another seven to ten years. They need to now make use of that space somehow. They need to adapt. So if that means people that still want to come into the office, if they really feel that being in the office is an essential part of their business, then they will need to, yes, set up um, dividers and and organize each other uh, in a way that lends itself to social distancing. So you don't have people that are working side by side. You'll have people in cubicles that will be a certain distance apart. And when they roam the office, there's one way to travel so that there's a lot less 
um, interaction and exposure that way. It's a whole way, different way of thinking. It's, it's almost like you're applying the, this more suburban, you're applying like a suburban sprawl model to, to the city, which, you know, this reminds me, um, that, you know, there's recently been feng shui consultants out there, believe it or not. Um, so if there's idiots that are willing to pay for that, then there's definitely going to be people that are willing to pay for uh, COVID consulting. And um, it, it, it makes sense that, you know, a, a business of uh, COVID consulting would come up out of um, out of this. I remember looking at an article that talked about, um, you know, the spread of COVID even within a restaurant. You know, airflow is a big factor. Mm -hmm. uh, the direction of where it goes um, can really determine, you know, if if certain right. pockets of the room are a higher risk of exposure. So definitely is a, a value for the, these kinds of services. Um, and like you said, especially with the, the possibility of a lot of um, office spaces, potentially being empty for seven or eight years while in, right. by the clients paying um, paying rent um, you know you'd want these kinds of assurances that um, you know would, would bring some level of comfort to the employees to actually make them want to come in um, otherwise you know we if people aren't going to be coming in offices then I don't see many more buildings being built which would really really hurt our industry um unless there's some kind of new special approach to um you know building office spaces or whatever yeah yeah no, no doubt about it i think that um you know i think that there are people who are in a position now um are more likely to take advantage of those kinds of those new niche niches that you said um, as you know, in, in our line of work, we interact with um, a certain consultant that, as you know, is they're called site safety consultants. Well, in light of COVID, in light of any active job sites that uh, people are still working, these site safety consultants have found a way to um, uh, provide a new service offering where they are monitoring job sites to make sure that they are clean and safe. And the, the Department of Buildings is requiring that these firms um, perform these inspections and provide weekly reports on the cleanliness and safety of an active job site. So there, there are already people, you know, you know, this goes to the saying of, um, you know, trying to uh, build the engine as it runs, you know, like that's where a lot of consultants, that's the, the kind of position where they find themselves in where they are, uh, you know, at, at the same time in trying to figure out the laws, they're conforming and they are adapting in such a way that their, uh, that their service offering can now expand to accommodate and to capitalize on, on the situation. Yeah. I mean, you know, Hey, if you come up with a good idea, let's just, uh, let's, you know, leave our jobs, start up, uh, start up our own thing. You know, ditch Vidaris, ditch Morrison Hirschfeld. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, we'll 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 start, we'll capitalize. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's it. It's just uh, open up our own thing and offer that that one thing that has now been uh, has been produced from this. Yeah, we'll just take advantage yeah. and capitalize. We'll be feng shui and COVID consultants together. How about that? <laughs> Sounds like um, a plan. <laughs> let's do it. Turn, turn, put in your two-week notice on Monday, okay? 
I'll, I'll do mine. Okay, <laughs> um, I don't got that much time left, but I, I do want to wrap this up talking about personal reflections. Um, during this time, have, uh, have you developed any new hobbies? Um, you know, discovered anything interesting? Sure. So one thing that I can say personally uh, that I have found interest in recently was uh, a little bit of mixology. And by that, I mean, um, this is the first time that I've ever made a margarita on mm. my own. Uh, margarita was something that I would only get maybe once or twice a year or at the right restaurant. Uh, but, you know, in, in uh, seeing the margarita mix at Trader Joe's, um, you know, we just felt like, hey, why not incorporate some margaritas into our happy hour? So I've uh, become a little bit of a connoisseur there <laughs> in the in the articles of Lush Life. It's one of those things that is uh, part of should be part of your repertoire. So I had a I already had a, a cocktail mixing kit. I uh, found a recipe, and it's been part of our. Uh, daily or weekly rituals to um, to enjoy a margarita. So that's that's one thing that has uh, certainly come out of it for me personally. I also am, am finding myself, in many ways, uh, experiencing things vicariously through my fiance Jackie. She's uh, suddenly found a new love for the kitchen and for uh, you know cooking and a little bit of baking. So it's fun to watch her go through some of those experiences. Um, she has only for the first time started using a food processor. Uh, she is for the first time uh, baked a cake. So that's also fun to see to see her go through uh, some of those experiences. I, I consider myself to be more uh, post ambitious when it comes to the kitchen. I've had my trials and tribulations. Um, in my in my early days of learning how to cook when I was out of college, um, so uh, you know I haven't I haven't really um, had any personal experiences there in in the kitchen for myself. But watching I, her, I remember go, one birthday party you you made a, a different kinds of jambalaya and fried rice or something, and I remember <laughs> it being pretty good. And having this impression of like, man, I never knew this about Jesse. Jesse really likes to cook. That's like that. That's that's kind of weird, but that's cool. Yeah, you know, it was one of those things where you know you get out of college and you realize you're not making a lot of money. You're not going to eat out every night. So what am I going to do? I I I taught myself to cook uh, through my mother's recipes. That you know she she gave me a small binder full of her old favorites, and I was able to recreate those uh, with her help. I was living uh, in Florida at the time, and she's in Pennsylvania. Uh, so I was able to call her up and and figure out what I what I needed to do for for those recipes and just grew from there. So, um, yeah, you know, that's uh, such a lifetime a movie of... moment sort of thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, you know, a white boy calls his mom to you know get tips on how to make a pot roast or something. Yeah, exactly. Wow, what does this mean when it says add? Eight ounces of something to the pot. Wait, where where can I find that? You know, you're really kind of starting from scratch there, and uh, yeah. that whole experience. Yeah. But yeah, so um, so I haven't I haven't really tried to venture back into the kitchen to for, for new experiments, but to assist Jackie through some of that is um, is definitely fun. I can also say that 
it's it's a nice it's, it's nice for us to to be able to connect in that way and 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 you know be able to spend some time in the kitchen where we're having a little bit of fun just with some cooking adventures so no no doubt about that i i would say the only other thing that i personally uh done in terms of uh, new discoveries uh maybe i'll i'll say in terms of my my workout i i used to you know go to a gym two to three times a week and I've sort of fallen back to the old habits before I started going to a gym regularly where I'm, um, you know, finding myself at a park and I'm just running stairs and doing some push-ups and, and sit-ups on my own. And I've ventured into some doing some uh, more inverted workouts, trying to improve upon handstands and handstand walking. So that's been, you know, another fun element of, uh, <clears throat> that that's come out of this, this whole experience. So, um, in general, yeah, you know, just uh, trying to stay busy and, you know, finding any new finding any new thing uh, within the the routine um, is, I think, helpful and uh, helps to keep you sane, which is one of the, the one of the most important things that that you can do during this time, staying safe and staying sane. Definitely, dude. Uh, next step up from handstands is uh, is full on break dancing. You know that, right? So next time I talk yeah. to you, you, we're gonna we're gonna turn on cameras and do a dance battle like we used to do at the halls of uh, 360 Park um, You know, right. I would do a little right. I do a little lock and pop, and then we'd get down. You know, you're gonna get down and do some windmilling or. Uh, Six stepping, or I, I don't know, break dancing terms. You're gonna have to figure them out and show them to me. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll be sure to uh, apply to a, a Skype training uh, oriented break dancing class. And, yeah, b-boy class, and I'll and I'll be able to learn some moves, and we can share them over over Skype together. <laughs> Can't wait. Uh, dude, it's been so awesome catching up with you, man. And thanks so much for taking the time to share your experiences in New York City with the Ewing Bang listeners. Hey, listen, thanks for having me on. I'm happy to do this again anytime that you feel like uh, I have something to offer. And, um, uh, yeah, a lot of really great questions. And hopefully uh, you got some, got some good feedback. Yeah, if the if the football season ever starts up again, uh, we a lot to talk about that in the NFC East, but but we'll save that for another. I guess so. I guess so. You will be uh, trolling me with uh, all of the catches from Ceedee Lamb and uh, <laughs> thrown and by Andy Dalton. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. All right. You take care, man, and say hi to Jackie for me. Will do. So I say hi to hi to the family on on your side as well, and give that little baby some kisses I for me, right? I got my toes in the water, ass in the sand, not a worry in a world of cold beer in my hand. Life is good today. Life is good today. Adios and vacaciones. A long way from TA. Yes, and all the muchachas, they call me Big Papa When I throw pesos that way Adios and vaya con Dios A long way from GA Someone do me a favor and pour me some Jaeger And I'll grab my guitar and play Adios and vaya con Dios 